You're listening to an audio teaching from Rivers Harvest Church on Alaska, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit riversharvest.org. And remember, Jesus went about doing good, healing all those oppressed of the evil one. God bless. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, I can stand before your people today. I ask you, Father, that I could stand in the office that you've called me to. Father, that uh, when we leave today, every single person here will be more in love with Jesus and with you, Father, than when we came. Amen. I would like to put a scripture up. Can we put that scripture up? He's working on it. It's Ephesians chapter 3, and it begins in, uh, well, I'm going to highlight 17 through 19, but it actually begins in 15. And I thought they were going to um, have it up in very large print, so I wouldn't have to try and struggle to read it out of my Bible, but I will pull that up too. All right. We're going to begin, I'll begin in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love. Get that? Rooted and grounded in love. And may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. To know the love of Christ, which one translation says surpasses understanding. This translation says, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Where does that power work? Where is that power? In us. Okay? One of the things that I I find is so, so important is that, that where it says rooted and grounded in love. Um, I grew up a farmer. I still farm. And I understand roots And I understand ground. Ground is what feeds the roots. The roots, as they go deep, are firm and stabilize that which grows above ground. And everything that that the plant needs, the roots supply. And then the plant, using sunlight, changes it into life and growth. All right? Now, 
Paul here is definitely identifying the nature of the soil. What's the nature of the soil? Love. It isn't deep, is it? Hard to understand. I find in the world today, by the way, my wife, because she was going to get up here, drank some of my water, and most of you know my messages usually go according to how long the water lasts. So she shortened my message. She will refill it. And if anybody's going to drink it, it would be her. That's okay. So anyway, I find there are two major forces at work in the world today. Those two forces are love and fear. If you want to control people, if you want to motivate people, you tap into one of those two. Which is the one that most tap into? Fear. Which is the most powerful? Love. I've seen love at work. One time a long time ago, when my kids were young and foolish and goofy, we were at a camp where we were camping out. It was just a state park camp. And they had convinced us that they wanted to be camping with their cousins on the other side of a little bit away from us. We were with the parents on the other side. And of course, our daughter, who's laughing, was in that, I kind of like boy stage. But too young to be doing so, in our opinion. And we're, you know, I mean, it's late at night. Well, you were, you were, you were over there. She already knows the story. Pam and I, I mean, we, we, it was tempting, right? Yes. We had tents, sleep bag, and we were, you know, and we could hear this chatter in the distance. And all of a sudden, my wife's radar picks up unnamed boys talking. What? And shooting off firecrackers. That went for about a couple of minutes, and suddenly this bear arose from our tent, <laughs> went out the door without a flashlight, and was heading over with her cousin, the other mom, to kill. <laughs> On their way there, like I said, she had no flashlight, she ran headfirst into a tree. It did not deter her. You could hit her overhead with an oak and it wouldn't stop her. Why? Love motivates you. And you will not stop. That's why I know the Muslim uh, um, thing with the fear is not going to succeed. It can't. It cannot beat the love of God. Okay? But what happens is you've got um, extremism. And uh, let me help you understand how, how fear works. Okay? 
And fear can also be a part of your culture and your life if people have tried to control you. Some fear is good. When my kids were younger, they thought Jesus told me everything. And he did. Everything I needed to know. They just didn't know how much I didn't know. And they were afraid to do stupid things, for the most part, out of fear. That's a healthy fear. Okay? You know? How many know that, say, say for example, um, I'm going to use this. Matt, remember to raise your hand if I don't use an example. It's a good one about, about what you do, okay? All right, because I don't want to miss this example. It's a good telling one, but I've got to build it a little bit. So, for example, um, here you are, and you're wanting to control people. How are you going to motivate and control them? And the church has done this too, sadly. Is you cause people to be afraid, and you talk about things that make them afraid, and because they're afraid, then they are... Oh, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of going to church, but after that message last week, we better go. Okay? That couldn't be wrong. That can be manipulation. That can be witchcraft. And it was performed from a pulpit. True. Because you know what happens? Remember, I said there is a healthy fear, and then there's taking fear into manipulating. And it, what that does is that works like this, that say I start using that method. Well, after a couple of weeks, your fear level starts dropping. So I've got to come up with something even more to make you more afraid. So you'll be controlled. All of a sudden, that's wearing down and I can't control you. Oh, I'm going to really get you worried about end times, which are legitimate. But I, it can be taken to the point where you're manipulated to do things rather than the way God wants. God talked to me 15 years ago. He said, you're really good at getting people to do things, but they're doing them for the wrong reasons. And he said, I'm sitting you on the bench, and you're going to learn my way. He says, I don't use fear. And I literally said, not much going to get done in the church then. And he said, that's right. And don't you worry about it. <laughs> well, that reflects upon me. Well, it's not real fucking good right now, is it? Yeah, I guess I'm in your office, aren't I? And actually, if he hadn't dimmed himself down, that could have been a very hard situation. But he was kind of joking. And all of a sudden, you, he can be that way. He dims his intensity down, and so you're fellowshipping, and then he leaves those things, and later on you think about it, and you go, I could have died. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, had I understood the intensity of the operation he was performing, I could have died on the table. But he lightened it up enough so that it wasn't, it was like kind of generally, and he was letting me know, yeah, you do this. And, and then later on, he lets the gravity of it sink in and going, 
Oh. We do not want to be manipulating God's people because he's more concerned about your heart than your obedience. Sometimes we think it's all about obedience. I personally made an effort, and, I, I, and the Lord showed me how to be a dad. Was I a very good dad? You heard that. If you can get a sure and a nod from the two oldest, you did great. I literally didn't have, my father would not have been a good model as to, it was like, I will beat you into submission. And besides, I can get mad at any minute for anything. I was not going to be like that. Okay? But I, you know one of the things I did discipline? Not so much behavior as attitude. Right, Tara? <laughs> Tara was the one that helped train me in that. <laughs> we would go into her room. She would be carrying this attitude. Not that she was a drama queen, although, yes. <laughs> and I would say to her, and how you're, you're six, seven, you know, and up to 15. <laughs> this attitude stinks. It's... We're gonna, we can either pray it out or we can spank it out. You decide. Now, those of you who know Tara know which one she would usually pick. Get the belt out. And the first one, because I'm wanting to be a nice dad. Only hit just enough. Just smack, smack, you know. This is going out on YouTube probably, and yes, I do agree with corporal punishment, not done in anger. <sighs> I had it done in anger. I don't agree with anger. Anyway, so we'd give her, and she would get a little bit of the tears, but I could see, no, that's just drama. Attitude hasn't changed. So gone. <clears throat> okay, one more round. But what was I disciplining? Attitude. And usually you couldn't talk to her about the attitude when she had the attitude. You know what I'm saying? You can't talk about the attitude when you got the attitude. So we would get the attitude out of the way. It's amazing. There's this, there's this, there's this highway right by the rear end that that thing leaves if prompted pro properly. And then she would come out, and you would think she had transformed into a butterfly. She was so happy and and I go say to my wife, I should have took her in there hours ago. Because God is also concerned about our attitude. We're doing the right thing for the right reason. Now, fearing God is a healthy thing. Okay? But does fearing God make you love him? I'll give you an example. I've been driving out on the highway. And for the most part, my wife says I drive like a grandpa. I said, yeah, I am one. Okay? So usually, I mean, if I'm speeding, it's because I'm not paying attention. I'm following traffic, just so you know, Matt. Or, or I'm obviously in a hurry, and I'm doing it on purpose, and I will probably tell you that when you come to the window. But I'll tell you why. Not that I should get away with it, but I am honest, okay, in that way. I'm out on I-90 driving along, you know, doing around the speed limit. 
And I notice cars are driving slower. And I realize that Matt's right behind me. Now, I don't know it's Matt. I just see it's a highway patrol. What do I suddenly start doing? I start checking to make sure I'm doing driving. I'm driving more careful there than any other time that I've been driving right now, right? And everybody around me is doing the same thing. They're driving more careful. Why? Because the highway patrol is there. Now, am I, do, I, do I have a healthy fear that I don't want to do something wrong? Yes, and it's causing everybody else. I'm more safer there at that point than any other time I've been driving because of his presence. Does that make me love him? No, when he pulls off at the next exit, I go, <laughs> and every other person on the road does that. <coughs> Why? Fear. Fear. <laughs> okay, I am less protected, right? Now that he's pulled off, but I am thinking there might be another one. <laughs> what I'm trying to help us understand is, you know, this idea of fearing God, although healthy, doesn't make you love him. And I want us to get this. There's something just unusual about God. He actually wants us to love him. To love him. Partly because, well, uh, I, I believe it was uh, uh, the disciple John said God is love. I mean, his revelation of, of God is he's love. Okay? He's also the one that had the revelation, we love him because he first loved us. Have you ever tried to give away something you don't have? It is impossible? So, Craig, how much uh, cash do you have in your pocket right now? None? Do you, do you, Craig, do you have a... Now, this is scary. Do you have a $20 bill in your pocket? So you don't have a $20 bill. So if I asked you to give a $20 bill... To that young lady in the blue dress right behind you, you would be unable to do that. Oh, that's too bad. You do have a 10. But see, he's unable to give away something he doesn't have. God isn't expecting you to give away something you don't have. So what does he do? He says, you come to me, or I'll chase you down. I will love on you. I will love on you. Oh, by the way, here. Oh, uh, but I want you to give it to the gal in the blue dress behind. Now, see, I'm blessing her using Craig. He's getting... Would you do that for me? Are you out of anything? Actually, you've gained. Because in God's account book, Craig just gave 20 to the young lady behind him, right? So God's going, mark that down. He's giving, he sowed there, okay? But where did it come from? 
No, it came from Terry today. <laughs> Who is an example of how God operates? If it would have been God, it would have been substantially larger. <laughs> I don't want to misrepresent him. <laughs> you got that? So it came from Terry as an example. But like I say, because, why do I say that? Because we just read here. It says God does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond that we can think or imagine. So do you think I'm going to, you know, limit God with a $20 bill? No. No. I, I have no idea how large that bill would have been if it had come directly from him because that's how he feels about us. But the example still works, doesn't it? Okay? God wants us to give away stuff to others that doesn't even belong to us technically because it's his. Remember I talked to you guys that we have um, three... Uh, three relationships we are developing while we are alive. The first relationship is that of child. The second relationship is that of servant. And the third relationship is that of royalty. We're developing these all through our life. My relationship is to be determined. My child relationship is not just to my parents, although we will all have that. My child relationship is mostly dependent upon my relationship to God the Father. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, we all were to pray, Our Father. That means, my daddy is your daddy. He's our Father, all right? And I need to develop that relationship first and foremost. A lot of people in the church live as orphans. They're saved, but they're scared of God. What do you do when you're afraid of something? You hide. And you'll hide in church behind the things you do hoping that God is happy with you. But you're hiding. I, uh, years ago, I remember uh, uh, evangelist Billy Graham always used to use this song at the end. What's that song? What's the words go? Just as I am, without one plea. God takes us where we're at without us having to change a thing. We just step right up. Oh, by the way, I did do that thing. You didn't need to wear Yeah. I'm glad you did, you know, knew though. I want to give you an example, all right? In... Luke also had great revelation of God's love, all right? You can look in, uh, uh, I believe it's Luke, the 15th chapter, and see about the, the loving father, the prodigal son, and the religious older brother. We're not going to talk about those today, although it would be fun. You jump up a couple of chapters, and I think it's uh, Luke 19. Remember, I like to tell you what the Bible says, assuming you are Bible students. I'm assuming it's uh, Luke 19, and uh, I was afraid they put it up. In that story, there's this, I always loved this story when I was in Sunday school, 
because the Sunday school teacher would say, this is about the short man. <laughs> and there's something about short men that has a, you know, near and dear to my heart. Oh, there it is. Zacchaeus, he was not just a tax collector, he was an overseer for the tax collectors. He was like a tax collector and he oversaw others. Okay? And a tax collector in that society, they considered him scum. Because, do you know how the tax collector would get paid to be the tax collector? By overtaxing. By overtaxing. His job, he was not only considered a traitor by his people, he was considered a thief by his people. And he was considered a thief that they all despised. He was like, you know, as, as scum goes, he was the top of the pond. And he had heard about Jesus. But, you know, when you're a short tax collector guy, you've got to be careful you don't go down some alleys you shouldn't go. You might not come out. And so I'm sure he watched out for himself. He maybe even had people that helped guard him, like a big guy named Bubba. You didn't know Bubba was a Jewish name, did you? Uh, I really didn't either. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if he was there, because if Bubba would have been there, he could have got on his shoulders and wouldn't need the sycamore tree. But anyway, he wanted to just see Jesus. Okay? He had no aspirations because of who he knew they thought he was. Do you know a lot of times we think we're who people think we are? Did you, did you follow that? Did I say it correctly? <laughs> a lot of times we think we, we are who people think we are. You follow that? We think we're scum because somebody rejects us. We think we're bad because somebody has said we're bad. We think, you know, a, a, a dad says something when you're little, you're never going to mount to anything, and it sticks. Where's that power? Things like that. So he knows they don't like him, and he probably thinks of himself, I don't care, I don't like you, you know. I'm just going to make as much money as I can. Yeah, I'm scum, but I'm drinking the best wine, and I've got the best house in the city, you know. Trying to justify and so what happens is he wants to see Jesus. And he gets ahead of the crowd and he climbs up this tree. And he's sitting up in the tree. Now I want you to get an idea. This is important. Why this is in the Bible, okay? He knows he doesn't fit. He knows he doesn't belong. Everything in him says he's a reject. Jesus stops below the tree and says... Uh, where is it here? And Jesus came to the place. He looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus. How does Jesus know his name? Because daddy knows all our names. And Jesus is being a mouthpiece of his daddy. And daddy knows that Zacchaeus thinks he's scum. 
and that he doesn't believe he belongs. And Jesus says to him, Make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Do you see what's taking place there? The drama that's unfolding in this man's heart? If he knows my name, he must know all the other stuff too. And he wants to come to my house. Jesus doesn't preach him a message. He just says, Jesus, or Zacchaeus, I pick you. Zacchaeus, you belong. Everybody else is going, maybe Jesus isn't who we thought he was. Literally. They're like, doesn't he know who he is? And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he was gone to that he has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Anybody here um, before Jesus picked you and you picked Jesus, anybody here a sinner? All hands go up. After you met Jesus and you and he got together, what happened? Sinner went away. Okay? But at that point, they know who he is. Jesus doesn't care. Actually, he does care more than they do about Zacchaeus. And he's making a point telling every other Zacchaeus in the crowd, my father loves you. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Did Jesus tell about changing his ways? Did he say, you know, if you don't straighten up, you're going to hell? As soon as Jesus picked him, Zacchaeus goes, Oh man, I know where I am. Jesus, I'm going to do everything I can. He says, And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore it to him fourfold. Why was his heart changed? Love. Was he afraid of going to hell? No. No. His fear of going to hell did not change him. He maybe was afraid of going to hell, but it didn't transform his life. What changed him? The love of God. I'm glad you spoke up, though, because it's one of those things where the the Bible is filled with things that we can fight about, which is stupid, because on any given Sunday, Pastor Andy can get up and say one thing, and I could get up and say the other, and you would think we disagree, and we don't. Because what happens is they are two truths. When they press together in the kingdom, that's where the true truth is. Okay? So anyway, what transformed Zacchaeus' life? Love. He knew his state before that, but it didn't transform him. He still lived the same way. 
There's a lot of people that come to churches and <coughs> they go through the effort, they get saved, they get baptized, they even get filled with the Holy Ghost, so they get power and they get dangerous. But they're not transformed. Love is what transforms us. Sometimes I find that it's kind of like, you know, that's got to be the first thing to get fixed so that they can, you know, you give a guy dynamite, you want him to know how to use it. We're so worried about getting filled with the Holy Ghost, which I, I totally think is important, but they're unloving, untransformed, unchanged people, and they're, they're making their family, you know, crazy because they're spreading fear. What do they need? They need a baptism of love. When they're in that state, they're making life miserable for people around them. But does God love them less? No. He's actually attracted to it, wanting to love them out of it. Okay? And then it says here, what did Jesus say? And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham. What was, what was happening? Jesus was restoring him to who he had always been. He didn't consider himself part of the covenant family anymore because he was a traitor, tax collector. Had he changed his profession here? He was still going to be the tax collector, to my knowledge. He's just going to be the more honest, most honest one out there. He'd be the one you want to see. And then 10th uh, verse. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's interesting, this morning... I woke up, and I had this dream, and I thought it can't apply to me, because in the dream, and it may apply to someone here today, we're going to close with this, in the dream, I was at like a, it was like a, a class, almost like college class, you know, my age, that's not happening, I, I don't do that, and I have this professor who hands out the, this assignment, and in the and before this is handed out, I get this information that someone very dear to me is in is like dying. And so they hand this these assignments out. And in this thing, I'm much younger. I have hair. It's really cool for a moment. And I quickly it's it's a it's a essay assignment, and I know the material. And so I put down the bare bone essence. Boom, 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 boom. It's like five points. Walk up, put it on the desk, and I leave. And then I'm, you know, going to go deal with this situation. All of a sudden, it's like next day, I'm back in that room, and the papers are being handed out. And I get my paper, and on it, it's a big red D. And then... Uh, basically saying all my arguments are, are stupid, 
And I know you just left because you wanted to go cause trouble and be a sinner. I wanted to take his head off. And I wake up and I'm going, what is that about? And God said, I have people out there that have been misunderstood, that have been judged by, and I felt like especially male authority in their life, and that I want you to apologize on the Lord's behalf for those men that misunderstood you, misinterpreted your actions, and disrespected you, and did not value you for what your situation really was. I want, I'm asking you to forgive. Because I believe somehow that has been hindering you from receiving God's love, who is a, he calls himself Father. And I believe there's, especially fathers may have done this in your life. So if you're here today, and you feel in your heart something doing like little cartwheels and baptisms, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, God's talking to you. And if you're willing to say, okay, Jesus, I forgive, there's a wall that's going to come down and a rush of love that you're going to start an experience that you have been unable to experience. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you'd pour out your grace now Father, bring to mind any of those walls that have been holding your love back from touching your people. Those offenses, bring them to mind and give them the grace to let them go. Doesn't mean what they did was right. All it means is you're putting them in the hands of God and not yours any longer. Doesn't even mean you have to trust that person again. All it's saying is you're forgiving so that God's love can pour into your life. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I know there's several guys, several gals that this is speaking to. like to rush on, but this isn't like a microwave where I can just push a button. There's hard issues involved.
Heavenly Father, I just pray now that as people forgive, that the walls that have been standing in the way of your love pouring into their life would be gone now in Jesus' name. And Father, that your love would just begin pouring over, touching each and every person here today. And Father, that it would go out through the airway. Watch this, that they would feel your love, your goodness, your mercies, your kindness. Father, we need to see your love. We need to feel your affection. And we need to know your good thoughts about us. We need to know that you know our name and that that promise that Jesus died for us truly set us free.